Welcome to another episode of In the Ring with Sumo Heavy. I'm John Suter, the Director of Marketing at Sumo Heavy. In this episode, we interview Jenna Kerner, co-founder of Harper Wild, a bra brand that takes the BS out of bra shopping with benefits like free home trials. Harper Wild was born online in 2017, the brainchild of Jenna Kerner and Jane Fisher, two friends from business school. It began with a question, why is shopping for bras such a pain? Well, they didn't have an answer. In fact, instead of an answer, they ran into more questions. Why is the bra industry so over-sexualized? Why are bras so expensive? Why is a product that is meant for women typically marketed towards men? As they delve deeper into this world of intimates, they found injustices, absurdities, and some humor along the way, all of which inspired them to create a company that women are proud to stand behind. And so Harper Wild was born. Harper Wild sets out to empower every wild woman, from their employees to their factory workers to girls who can't afford an education. Jenna takes us through the Harper Wild origin story and the challenges the founders faced in producing a physical product and getting it to market. Enjoy our interview with Jenna Kerner of Harper Wild. Hey, Jenna, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. And also with us, we have, as usual, my partner in crime, the CEO of Sumo Heavy, Bart Miraz. Hello. Hello, Bart. How are you today? I'm fantastic. Nice windy day in Philadelphia. All right, so let's jump in. Jenna, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, about your background, and basically your origin story. Sure. Um, my my story is probably a little non-traditional um, for being in, in e-commerce and retail right now, um, but I started... I uh, started my career much more in the healthcare space. I was um, a neurobiology and economics majors in undergrad um, and thought that I would um, go into business, but really with the focus on, on healthcare and the hard sciences. And shortly after school, um, I, was, I was working in consulting to get a more general business uh, background and started doing a lot of innovation consulting and solution design and absolutely fell in love with that. And I think it tied into the healthcare um, tilt for me because I really wanted to figure out how we can help people uh, be proactive about their healthcare rather than reactive. Um, and so a lot of that uh, for me played into wearables and Fitbits and how are we, you know, how do we keep moving, um, you know, before we need to go to the doctor. Um, and so I moved out to San Francisco. I was doing some product management there um, at a wearable tech company and was going to Wharton Business School um, to uh, get a degree from the healthcare management program as well as um, integrated product design. And that's where I met Jane. Um, so, you know, we started, we started talking about this business idea very early on to our, uh, into our two years, and um, there was just such an organic need for it. And um, I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more uh, as we talk, but um, while it seems pretty far from what I was doing in healthcare, I think there's a lot of really common um, threads in you know, our mission to empower women and a lot of the things that um, you know, 10 years ago I thought I would have been doing today. Yeah, that's quite a pivot from wearables to uh, running Harper Wild. Why don't you tell us uh, exactly, give us the elevator pitch on Harper Wild. Sure. Um, so Harper Wild takes the BS out of bra shopping. Uh, we feel every woman deserves really high quality products um, for her everyday base layer. Um, so we provide really thoughtfully designed bras um, in a very simple uh, experience. We try to take all the BS out of it so that we've done the work for her so that she doesn't have to. And our broader mission is to lift up the ladies. So not only do we lift up a woman's ladies, but 
through our supply chain, um, through our give back program with Girls Inc. We donate to uh, build the next generation of leading women as well. Awesome. Awesome. So, so let's get back. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump in, but technically it's still wearables, right? <laughs> I was, I was actually going to say that. <laughs> and I love Good that much part. <laughs> Good catch. I didn't even think of that one. That's awesome. So why don't you tell us about your co-founder, uh, how, how you guys met? You said you met in school. Can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. Um, yeah, Jane and I met um, prior to business school, just briefly when we were both out in San Francisco. Um, she had been working at McKinsey for um, several years. She was uh, doing general management consulting and then had moved internal um, to work uh, on more internal um, problems within McKinsey. And so that's really where she got this itch for uh, more operational roles. So we were friends first, and then um, we started working on a project together, an innovation course at Wharton on a completely different business. Um, but we found that we worked really well together and um, really complementary working styles. And so she originally had this idea. Um, uh, if you guys have, have ever sat in on a Wharton class, I don't know if you would have, but anyone that would have um, in the past, I'd say, seven to eight years would um, know that the professors love to um, rightfully so, brag about a lot of the really incredible businesses that have um, started out of the university. And so, um, you know, we just, we kept hearing about them and, and I think it served to, you know, spark a, um, an idea of we can get eyeglasses and runway dresses and mattresses delivered to our door really easily. And yet one of our most basic commodities that we're wearing every single day, um, you know, we don't know where to go for that. And so that's really what we, we started talking about. Um, and this was about October of our first year. So pretty, pretty early on into the experience that we met. What year was that? Was that 2016 or 2015? 2015. You're in class, you guys are become friends. You realize that bras are a commodity that what was the what was the problem that you were trying to solve with bras? Sure, I mean, I I felt the problem right away. Um, I was I had been in a professional uh, like corporate environment before school, and you know I was wearing a nice suit, nice clothes, nice handbag, and yet I was wearing a bra that was five to ten years old um, with an underwire poking me in the side. And so you know, Jane came to me with this, this idea, and I was like, holy shit, like I. For someone that's very focused on consumer behavior, this is a really weird behavior. Like, why am I replacing everything else I own, and yet the one thing I'm putting on every single day is ratted, torn, and certainly not serving the purpose that you know it was originally intended for. And so we really bonded over both having this really strange consumer behavior, and that first step was, are we the only people who you know are weird and not replacing our bras, or is this you know more of an epidemic? Um, and as we talked to hundreds of women, just you know being all in the same area in proximity-wise in terms of um, graduate school, we were able to learn really quickly. Every single woman we spoke to was like, "Oh yeah, I haven't gone shopping for a bra in years. I don't know where to go. I hate shopping for a bra." And we, we kind of became therapists um, and just you know, learned everything that there, that there was to learn about really the experience and why it was so challenging for women. Yeah, let's get into that. So I read a few of the, the press clippings about you guys. And one of the things was the interesting way you did your product research. You gathered some friends, basically got a bunch of bras together. Can you, can you walk us through exactly what you did and how you kind of had your aha moment about what you wanted to do? Sure. I think there were two, there were really two phases. Um, the first was 
um, understanding the challenges. And before we even wanted to build something, it's like, what are we really building for? And so we had hundreds of discussions, either one-on-one -on -one or, uh, you know, with groups of women. And we would uh, use existing products that were on the market, have them touch and feel them, you know, tell us what problems you're, you're currently having. And that's when we really started to circle around this idea that it's around the experience. Um, like, yes, there are challenges with product, but the experience of shopping for bras, how many options there are, um, the way they're merchandised, like it's just very overwhelming and consuming uh, uh, for women. And so um, we, that's when we really started to think about how can we make this as simple as possible. And so we really narrowed down to, you know, there's a few core silhouettes. Um, you know, if we have one option for each, like a t-shirt, a long sleeve shirt, a sweatshirt. So we've got the push-up, the t-shirt bra, the strapless, make it really simple. And so one of the ways we tested that is we uh, bought bras from existing uh, retailers. So we bought 500 bras um, on a credit card and wow. uh, we had women come over, you know, there were only, there were 500 because of all of the sizes, but um, there was only five styles and they were all in skin tone colors. And so um, we just observed, you know, we didn't let women touch them because we wanted to mimic an online experience, but we allowed them to choose which one they would want to uh, purchase of those. We did some price testing. So we had two that were exactly the same, but we doubled the price on one. Um, so we had some really interesting insights for, uh, you know, price sensitivity around this product because it is a very technical garment. Um, and there was just so much we were able to do. We allowed women to actually buy so that we could see real purchasing behavior and then putting money behind it. And then anything they didn't buy, we just, you know, returned to the store. So as two graduate students, um, we were able to get a lot of real data um, and customers and consumers putting their money behind something before we actually set out to manufacture our own products. That's pretty impressive. So tell us about, you have your research and you figure out, okay, this is the problem that we're going to solve. What's your next step? How do you say, how do you go from idea to actual production of the physical garment. I imagine doing something as a physical product is much harder than launching a digital product. Where did you begin your sourcing and how did that all take place? Sure. I mean, that was that was honestly one of the, the biggest challenges, I think, for a lot of um, early entrepreneurs that I've spoken to since. It's how do we get from uh, an idea, a concept, and slides to actually making something physical. Uh, and my advice is always to just try, start as soon as you can to, to move away from the idea phase so that you're actually um, getting into making something. So for us, um, we were, you know, we would go to New York, um, met with a bunch of uh, folks in like the garment district. Uh, we're learning about different um, what you know different processes existed both in the u.s and abroad to actually manufacture a garment and one of the things we learned early on is to make this traditional underwire bra um, you actually can't make it right now with all the pieces um, in it in the u.s so it has to be manufactured abroad um, one fun fact we actually told if you wanted to uh to have a bra made um you actually had to go to a wedding dress seamstress because it's so complicated with over 30 different pieces that that's actually the only uh, place that you'd be able to get something that technical made. Um, so it was it was really interesting for us to kind of you know begin to uncover just just how complex um, this particular garment is. Um, and so Jane started looking into Jane oversees more of the manufacturing operations supply chain um, side of things. And so um, she started researching, and there was one manufacturer that was coming to the top as you know one of the the best in the business. Works with a ton of 
different Intimates companies. And it just so happened that um, the wearable, uh, tech, uh, wearable tech company that I had worked at um, also partnered with the same uh, manufacturer. And so through that, we were able to you know, get an introduction um, and we were the earliest brand that they had ever worked with. But, you know, we flew out during, uh, we skipped some finals. <laughs> we flew out to Sri Lanka to meet with them and uh, we've been with them ever since. So, you know, we built some really strong relationships early on and, um, you know, they kind of saw the writing on the wall in the, in the lingerie industry and they've been a, a great partner for us. Okay. Can you talk, describe to the non-bra wearing audience that we probably have out there, what makes the, the construction or the design of something from Harper Wild different than something that you would buy, I don't know, at Target or anywhere else or Victoria's Secret? Sure. I, I think the biggest thing that we hear from all of our customers and that we took into account is it is the softest, most comfortable bra out there. Um, that was one of the complaints, you know, traditionally and historically bras were made for someone else. They were, they were made by men for men, but for women to wear, um, which, you know, when you think about Victoria's Secret, I think that's um, that can be pretty apparent. And so for us, it was, what is, what does she actually want when she's wearing this bra 12 hours a day? Um, one of, one of Jane's friends is a surgeon. And, you know, she said to us, she's like, I'm sitting in the operating room and I have to pause to, you know, tighten my bra strap. Like that's, this just like, shouldn't be, you know, something that our surgeons, um, women running board meetings, women running a household, that just shouldn't be something that they're dealing with. And so um, not only is it comfortable, um, but we've actually thought about a lot of the pieces like having the strap adjust in the front where you can actually reach it as opposed to the back. As opposed to reaching in yeah. the back, right. I read some exactly. articles about that. Yeah, that was very, very interesting take. Very interesting. <laughs> there's yeah. a, there's a, I just got married and my wife, uh, she was looking for bras, obviously, for the wedding. And there's literally a picture of me after we got married upstairs after we signed our papers or right before adjusting her bra. <laughs> like, there's a picture of us doing that because she was like, it's it's not staying where it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so crazy when you really start to think about it. That was, you know, those first few moments I remember so clearly of us saying, wow, like Victoria's Secret owns 50% of this market. It's a company that was concepted by men. It's run by men. It hasn't changed, you know, much in the last 50 years in terms of its branding. And it it's just doesn't really stand for, you know, the modern empowered woman. And it also doesn't meet her, her needs at the most basic level. Like the product really isn't cutting it. And so that's what you know, pulled us from these tracks that we were on to kind of say, holy crap, like there's something here and we don't know where else to go for these garments. So, you know, let's create something better for her. Awesome. So we'll get back to Victoria's Secret in a little bit. Uh, we're going to kind of still walk through the process here. So you have the concept, you, I'm assuming you have prototypes, you have actual physical goods ready to sell. What year is this that you're now ready to launch the website? Like, why don't you tell us about the origin of the name and how you kind of got the company set up? Sure. Um, in our second year of school, we we really spent, that's when we were really more getting to the designing tactical physical products and our digital um, website. And so we we went to Sri Lanka a couple times to work with our manufacturer during school. Um, as I'm, I'm sure our professors would attest, we, we missed a, a couple tests here and there. Um, and we spent, Jane was focused on that side while I was focused on uh, getting the, the website ready to go. Um, we did a friends and family launch while we were in Philadelphia. Um, so we had 3,000 bras shipped to Jane's apartment um, at, at 20th and Spruce, um, which was not 
not really set up to be a warehouse. Yeah, hold on. I was going to say, how, how, how many boxes is 3,000 bras and what size are those boxes? Oh, it was a lot more than we realized. <laughs> it was a great experience. Um, so we set up a little fulfillment center. Um, you know, we got printers and packing tape and, you know, everything that everything you really need. And, and the idea was that we, when we were going to launch in LA a couple months later, we would also set up our own fulfillment there. Um, you know, the friends and family launch taught us a lot. It's that we are, uh, we are not a fulfillment company and um, that's probably not what we should be spending our time and, uh, and energy. So, you know, very quickly from that, we, we got a, a 3PL set up um, to ship the remainder of the bras too. Um, but it was, it was a great experience. We tested the website, um, you know, we, we tested the customer experience, the packaging, you know, really everything before uh, we launched a couple months later. So we graduated in May, we moved out to LA um, four or five days later, but we launched three weeks after that. Um, so, you know, it's kind of been go, go, go ever since. Wow, impressive. What's, your, what's the story behind the name of Harper Wild? Yeah, so, I mean, when we originally started talking about this, it was never, you know, it was never just about bras for us. Um, it was always about how do we empower these, you know, um, incredible women, our peers, the women we look up to, how do we take something off their plate? And then how do we also build the next generation of these leading women? And so we looked to two um, iconic female authors, uh, Harper Lee and Laura Ingalls Wilder, um, and we donate to Girls Inc. Um, as part of every purchase. And so for us, it's always been, um, you know, how do we, how do we really help, uh, you know, build the next generation of leading women? And I think Jane and I were always very uh, fortunate and, and grateful for the opportunity that we had to have a great education, which was, you know, really where we came up with the idea for this business. So it sounds like you and Jane have good synergy. Well, how do you split your responsibilities? I know that you're, you're responsible for certain areas. Like, how do you guys split that up? So Jane focuses more on the um, physical product side, so manufacturing, operations, supply chain. I focus more on the digital, uh, like front end, so marketing, branding, technology. Um, that's actually how we split it up from the very beginning. Um, like that first year at us uh, in school when we were starting to concept the business, you know, we talked about which areas we felt like we each um, could really excel at and which areas, you know, energized us and de-energized us. And so um, we really had complementary um, focuses, you know, from that early stage. And then, you know, as we've grown and hired a team out, um, you know, we've just continued to specialize in those areas. How big's your team now? We are eight now. Oh, nice. And you're still in LA? Correct. Yep. Still in Venice. How, how, um, did Why you Venice? talk about this? Like, how'd you wind up in Venice of all places? <laughs> weather? <laughs> nice weather? It's, uh, it's certainly uh, not a bad aspect. Um, you know, we were really thoughtful about where we wanted to headquarter the company. I think with uh, e-commerce companies now, there's, you know, you do have some flexibility in terms of where you locate. And I um, spent a ton of time in New York before graduate school. Jane had spent time in San Francisco. So we were very familiar with, uh, with those markets. And as we looked at, you know, what was really important for us um, in building this business, um, you know, we knew that building a lasting brand was going to be really, uh, really important. And a lot of the, the creative folks that we were already working with were in LA. There was this really awesome energy um, in LA that we weren't really finding in these other markets when it came to startups. So um, of course, New York and San Francisco are, are great places to start a business. And I think, um, you know, we would do uh, just as well there, but we really felt this awesome sense of community and everyone kind of excited about making LA the next um, 
you know, e-commerce um, up and coming startup market. So it's been fun to be here and kind of band together with, uh, with those companies. So, I mean, the, the Venice, I mean, I guess Venice is like big for that too, right? Because there's tons of startups in, in just that area alone. Yeah, there's, I mean, you know, walking distance to, you know, parachute home. There's folks like Tural Vitamins. Um, I mean, there's there's so many. And so I think it doesn't always get thought of as like the number one market, but we've just seen, um, you know, an incredible, uh, there's an incredible base of talent here. And a lot of folks also, you know, interested in kind of coming from some of the other cities because of the weather or the pricing. Um, so it's been awesome to, you know, be able to build the business out here um, and kind of take advantage of all the awesome resources LA has to offer. Not, not bad to go surfing and coming to work. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's that too. Uh, if you're going to be uh, working all hours, um, you know, on, on getting something off the ground, why not do it in nice weather? Yeah. And I was going to add, I mean, besides having the nice weather all the time, um, you're kind of in a good spot in terms of, you know, the, the LA culture, which fashion, I think, you think of New York, but you also think of LA for fashion. So that kind of makes sense. But you're also near Silicon Valley, like, which we can get into now. What are you guys doing in terms of funding or growing the company? Or where are you guys at with that? Are you going to stay as a, as a private company? Or what's your, what's your plans for the future in terms of growing the business? Yeah, so we've, um, we've raised money thus far. Um, and, you know, we're... Um, there's a lot of potential routes that we could take this. I think the lingerie industry is a really, really interesting industry to look at um, right now with everything going on with the bigger players. Um, so there's a ton of movement. Um, we've seen some other new companies get scooped up by, um, you know, some incumbent brands like Wakel and Haynes. Um, so there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff out there. It was actually um, one of the reasons we were very excited to bring um, one of our more recent advisors, Sharon Turney, um, into the business. And that's something that, you know, we, uh, not on a day-to-day -day basis, but, you know, on a quarterly basis, we'll strategize with her kind of on what the long-term vision looks like for Harper Wild. So right now we're just focused on, on growing and, and creating an awesome business. Um, but I think there's a lot of really interesting opportunities in the long run. Okay, so you referred to Sharon Turney. She was the CEO of Victoria's Secret, correct? That is correct. How did you land her as an advisor? I would think, I mean, that's, you kind of glossed over that, but I think that's a big, that's a big catch there, don't you think? Yeah, we, we are very, very excited to have her on board. She's been um, incredible, and we were put in touch with her um, quite a while ago, and, and, you know, we stayed in touch. She's been uh, she has a wealth of knowledge, of course, on this industry, um, and is just very smart on it. And I think from her perspective, you know, she really felt like of, of the companies out there, we understand our target demographic and we understand this millennial woman, uh, you know, better than, than the other companies. And I think that's what she was just most excited about. So we're stoked to have her on board. She's been already incredibly helpful and I think will continue to be as we grow. Yeah, that, that's really impressive. So let's talk more about so we Sharon is an advisor but what does she does she advise on day-to-day -day things or it's just like you just pick up the phone and say Sharon we got a problem with this or does she come in and say here's a plan or here's what you guys should be doing like how does that relationship work because I I want to dub that tail that into you want to talk about your marketing sure um right now it's uh it's definitely not day-to-day -day. I think you know she's available if we if we had questions and wanted to call her but I think 
um, you know, running a larger company is so different than, you know, a, a very small company. And so she'll advise on like bigger, um, more strategic decisions. Like when we were thinking about um, moving into sports bras, you know, she, we talked to her a lot about the fact that sports bras take up 50% of a woman's drawer, uh, her bra drawer. And so, um, you know, there's just really interesting insights that she has just from being in this industry. She knows a lot about different suppliers um, and, you know, building those relationships. So we've leaned on her, um, you know, not as much on the day-to-day -day front, but more, um, you know, long-term uh, anywhere from six months out to, you know, five years out. Excellent. Uh, so let's talk about your marketing here. Let's start with the let's start with the easy question here. Who's your ideal customer, and how do you how do you target them? Sure. I mean, our core right now is the twenty five to thirty four year old woman. Um, she's in you know she's in her job, um, busy working day to day, uh, and frankly, just doesn't have time. Uh, nor does she care to spend her time shopping for a bra. Um, she either has more important things or more enjoyable things that um, she wants to do. And so we really feel that we um, take that burden off by providing uh, a really exceptional product that doesn't involve, um, you know, a ton of decision-making to find the right one that you need. And what's your customer acquisition strategy? Where do you find customers? What type of, what type of advertising are you guys doing? Sure. We're doing, um, you know, we've had a lot of success on some of the more typical ones, Facebook and Instagram. Um, we have an incredible email channel. I think a lot of that stems from our voice. Um, so even though we don't release a lot of products because that's not, you know, part of our strategy to every week have a new drop. Um, but we have such an engaged consumer base because people are just really excited about the humor and kind of that, that sharp wit that we, uh, introduced into everything we do. So we found, you know, a ton of success building up that community um, as well as, you know, social and, and a lot of the, the other traditional channels um, that a lot of companies have seen. I think we've just kind of taken a little bit of a different approach to it um, in introducing that humor uh, and building that community out. Yeah, I was going to point that out. Uh, I'd like to commend you guys on your social media. It's when you take a look at the Instagram, I really like the aesthetic. Uh, being a designer, I like the color palettes and everything. And obviously, it matches your product. But there's definitely some thought that went into that. Who's behind that? I mean, I, when I look at this, it's the anti-Victoria's Secret. It's, <laughs> it's like real women. Yep. But it's got it's got you know it's got an edge to it. Um, there's some which we'll get into the other activist activist type uh, messages that you guys get involved in, but there's really some thought that goes into that. Like how, how did that come about and who's, who's responsible for that? Sure. I mean, I think so much of it, um, feels authentic and feels well thought out because it really is authentic. You know, it comes, I think so much of the brand, which happens a lot with, um, you know, these, uh, direct consumer companies, it, it really reflects the founders in the early days. And a lot of what Jane and I found is we were trying to build this brand and, you know, recognize a lot of the absurdities in the industry is, you know, there's a lot of brands that have a sense of humor that are focused on men but we couldn't really think of that many brands that are, you know, serve female product or products for women um, that are also funny. And a lot of our friends, you know, have a sense of humor. Um, humor's always been important to Jane and I in our relationship. And so kind of having that, um, you know, somewhat sarcastic, funny, smart edge was always something that we wanted to incorporate and just felt like, you know, even as we were trying to come up with references, you know, there wasn't anything for us to point to. And so, you know, we wanted to create a unique, um, defined voice and brand imagery that really uh, would speak to that millennial woman that we felt like, you know, there wasn't really a lifestyle brand. Yeah, it's really great.
All right, let's talk about uh, some of the things you do, uh, particularly with activism and social issues. You want to talk about that? I know that there was a couple of things that you guys have been involved in. Uh, one was Lift Up the Ladies, and the other one was a special edition bra, which I can't say on the air. Uh, you want to talk about that? Sure. Um, I mean, for us, as I mentioned, this has always been such an important part of the brand. And so as we started thinking about these limited edition products um, and really the fact that the bra is the first thing someone puts on, um, you know, in her morning. And so how can you, you know, how do you make that moment um, that much more empowering for her? And so we, we came up with the idea to, you know, embroider quotes um, on the bra as this little, you know, it's a secret to herself rather than like a graphic tee that everyone wears. This is kind of that message that, you know, only she knows about. And the first one we did um, was a quote from Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, and the quote was, when there are nine. And so we embroidered on our black bra, white writing. Uh, and it was, you know, when she was asked, when, when will there be enough women on the Supreme Court? And the answer would be, when there are nine. Uh, and there was a point when there were nine men, so why not nine women? And it was just such an awesome, um, such a strong quote. And that was the first one we did almost a year ago now. And it just did so incredibly well. And the, the things that we were hearing from customers is, you know, I put this on in the morning and I, I feel awesome. Like, I feel like I can take on the day. And for a garment that traditionally has a negative connotation with it, for it to completely flip on its head and be so positive and empowering, that was such a strong signal to us that we were, you know, really onto something. So, you know, not only do the products have um, a, a great impact for the women who are wearing them, but um, each of these limited edition products, we donate to an organization that we partner with. So that one was um, She Should Run, which is, um, you know, trying to get more women into elected office. And then, um, you know, we've done other ones. Uh, in April for Earth Day, we did Tough as a Mother with um, an Earth on it from Mother Earth. And, um, donated to a charity for that. And then I think the one you're referencing is um, in May, we uh, uh, embroidered something on a bra, which I guess I also <laughs> cannot say um, on the air. <laughs> F uh, your laws, it said. There you go. Um, <laughs> uh, F your laws um, would be the PC way to do it. And it's interesting. We actually had a different campaign planned and, um, you know, we saw all of the, uh, the abortion bans going to effect in, in the Southeast. Um, and within about a week, you know, the team actually um, said to us, they're like, we want to do something. Like, what can we do? And so, you know, we already had this all cannabis campaign going. We had the, or that was ready to go. We had the embroidery, everything was set. And so we scrapped it. We said, if we can get this together in five days, let's launch it. And so, you know, we completely changed the design for the bra. We changed the imagery, um, all the messaging. And I think within about five days, um, we got it out. And that was um, one of our best selling, uh, you know, limited edition bras to date. And we donated. 50% uh, of proceeds to the ARC Southeast um, to help women get, you know, safe access to uh, reproductive care. So just incredible to see, you know, it's it's both about messaging and then actually doing something. And for us as a small company, you know, maybe we're somewhat limited in what we can do, but we still feel like we can play a really big role um, in, you know, standing for something. Impressive, impressive. Uh, let's take a look at the other side of that, though. Did you have any, so I, I read on your social media and I looked and it's been mostly positive. Like people, when is this bra coming back? I really love this. I love the message. Was there any neg negative parts to that? Was there any blowback or did you see any effect in your business at all? Or has it all been a net positive? 
Yeah, I think when you do something like that, there's always going to be, I think if you're not upsetting anyone, then you're probably not standing for much. Right. Um, you're, not sh- you're not shouting loud enough. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, that's something that we've kind of lived by. And of course, there's, there's a fine line. Um, and you want to make sure that you're doing things, you know, tastefully and that for your community, um, it feels right for the brand. But, um, you know, for us, this was something that we felt very strongly about. And it was, you know, in line with our values, our brand values, you know, the, the full team got um, to have a say in it, of, you know, whether we launched it, how we launched it. And so, you know, of course, we got backlash on social media, on, you know, customer experience channels. But I think what was really cool was that we actually saw our community um, playing a role in moderating that uh, discussion rather than, you know, it being internally coming from the brand. So, you know, on social media, we saw people, um, you know, one woman said, I'm never buying for your company again. And then some other woman came in and said, I just brought three in her place. Um, <laughs> that's <laughs> so, great. You know, it, it's cool to kind of see that. And I think that's when you really start to see, you know, you've hit on something when the community wants to be your voice and help amplify your voice and stick up for you um, because, you know, they feel strongly about what you're doing. Right. Because you have, what's, Bart, what's that phrase, the 1,000 true fans? Like once yeah. you have the 1,000 true fans. So I think yeah. you guys nailed it there. That's really yeah. great. I want to circle back, uh, talk about something a little bit more boring because this is, after all, an e-commerce themed podcast. We'd like to talk about your website. Um, what platform are you guys on? We're on Shopify. Oh, Shopify. Excellent. You know what? It's a very well-designed site. Um, who does the design work? Do you have uh, just a freelancer? Are you working with someone overseas or how does that all work? So we have, uh, we just hired our in-house designer um, actually for the first time. So we were, we were getting by for a couple of years. I don't know how um, without her, but um, that's, it's been incredible to have her um, fully on board. So before that, we were working mostly with agencies. Um, like you mentioned, I mean, if you want full service design um, and for us, it was also a bit of the efficiency. I think for a company our size, we're pretty lean. And so we, um, we have tried to find ways to really efficiently work where we can kind of get by uh, as a really you know, lean startup still. So um, on the dev side, we've always either worked with agencies or we've, um, you know, we've kind of moved back and forth between agencies and independent contractors, depending on kind of what our needs are for the business at that time. Awesome. So when you say you have a team, what do you say, eight or nine? Uh, that doesn't include fulfillment, correct? Do you outsource your fulfillment from somewhere else? Correct. We outsource fulfillment. All right, let's get back to you now, Jenna. Uh, being an entrepreneur is obviously demanding work. What's a typical day like for you? How do you how do you manage your time? Uh, I think one of the ways is I'm I'm incredibly organized. Um, I don't know how you know you can run a business and a, and a personal life um, without being organized. So for me, that's that's one thing. You know, I have I have lists everywhere. I've lists in my personal life. Um, I'm actually getting married in a week, so that's added a whole new wow <laughs> i know that feeling i will know set of lists. just went through this this summer <laughs> trust me yeah oh, so boy. that's a whole new element of logistical planning and organizational uh demands so i think that's really uh shown me the degree of organization i can truly achieve when needed um so yeah i mean for me it's, it's all about having lists it's about um i like to be very scheduled um so you know i've got a routine um, in the morning, uh, you know, I'm roughly at work the same time every day and leave around the same time every day. And I think just having, um, a lot of that schedule and routine, uh, it eliminates some of the additional, um, you know, decisions that I need to make throughout the day. Um, I 
the same thing for breakfast every morning. Um, usually my lunch doesn't look all that different day to day. And I think some of those things for me just allow me to be uh, more focused and present at work and um, a little bit less of that drain uh, in terms of like decision making uh, for things outside of work. Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree with all of that. Um, it, it, the less decisions that you have to make is more brain power you have for the really more important things in your life. Um, when you say you make lists, you, do you just have just like a general list or is there any kind of like ninja tactics that you can share with the audience? Because we're very into like that whole, uh, you know, organizational kind of Ginsu stuff there. Is there anything that you would want to share or is it just you're just walking around with a pad and paper all day long? <laughs> um, I think the, the most helpful thing for me has been um, I'll look at my list and uh, before I start doing anything, I'll put in, it's almost like an estimation meeting for, for on the dev side. Um, you know, I say how much work I think this should take or how much time. So, you know, this, this email should take me, you know, five minutes or this, this task should take me 15 minutes. Um, and that helps. Cause I think what, what I've found is that when I don't do that, I'll find something that, you know, when I'm not in the weeds on it, it shouldn't be a more than, you know, 10 minute task and yet it's taking me an hour. And so having that perspective and laying it out in advance kind of keeps me honest of, okay, you know, when I wasn't in this, I knew it wasn't that important. So let me just get this out the door, you know, um, get to that 80% rather than 100%. So that's kind of helped me be a little bit more efficient. I like the way you think. Uh, so let's ask another question here. What are the biggest risks or challenges or pain points that you and the company are facing right now? Obviously, getting married would probably add a time crunch to that. What, what else is on the horizon that's kind of making you a little, uh, little nuts? Honestly, I think... Um just like being able to test um, physical products. I think we're so, we're all about data and testing on the digital side. And it's, it's amazing how much you can test how quickly on the digital side. I think with physical, it's really interesting to um, have to be a lot more patient. And, um, you know, you can't, uh, you can't run really quick tests uh, in the same way, especially when, you know, your supply chain is overseas and design time takes a while. And so I think that's something that we're kind of working through is, is there a way to learn um, in a smaller scale? And I listened to a podcast um, by the founder of uh, Native Deodorant uh, recently, and he talked about testing with physical product, which I thought was, was really cool. And, and Jane and I chatted about it after. So I think there, there probably are ways to do that. Um, but you know, it's just a matter of how do we, how do we apply that same thinking of, you know, iterating, uh, quickly, um, when you have a lot of the operational constraints of, um, of a physical supply chain. I have another question about the Harper Wild website. Um, do you guys, are you guys planning on expanding the product line at all? I know that you have, you had that little section called, what was it called? The wild things. Uh, and it was like yeah. a little bit of accessories and whatnot. Is that like, was that just kind of like an experiment or are you guys going to open that up wider or what's your, what's your thinking there? Yeah, we've got some exciting things for the wild things, uh, you know, in place. So um, some of those will be uh, coming over the next few months and there are some additional um, product uh, expansions as well. So in April, or sorry, in August, we went from uh, three core products to five. Um, and we have a couple uh, in the works over the, the next couple months that we'll be launching as well. So, you know, there is a balance of keeping um, really streamlined and simple, but also making sure that we're meeting all <laughs> right on time. Right on schedule. <clears throat> 
Um, so we're always trying to make sure that we're also meeting different needs. So if there is a need that we're not um, filling with our product offering now, then that is something that we're, uh, you know, we're working to make sure that we're meeting her at every stage of her life or every part of her day uh, and the different needs that she has. Awesome. So what does success look like for your company? How do you, how would you qualify as you guys being a success? Do you think you're there or you think what's, what's the next plateau for Harper Wild? acquisition or a billion dollars like what what does that look like for you guys i don't know if i'd be a good entrepreneur if i said uh we've already reached success uh two years in um <laughs> well an so, entrepreneur is never is they're, they're never um we're never satisfied never satisfied you never rest on your laurels but do you get to the point where you're going okay we have enough i have enough to live i don't have to worry about paying my rent are you hungry for the next thing or are you saying i'm gonna ride this for the next 25 years like what what's your feelings about that Sure. Our, our vision is to be the go-to for everyday bras. Um, so for that's really our North Star. I think a lot of companies in this space, you know, start to diversify really quickly. Um, and as much as we could talk about, you know, Victoria's Secret, I think one thing they did really well and one of the ways they were able to build such a moat is that they were absolutely known for bras. If, if she travels and forgets a bra, she's going to Victoria's Secret. And that's the first place that she thinks about. And so, you know, we want to be that go-to for all of her everyday bras. The anti-Victoria's Secret, would you say? Or is it the, 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 the other, what's the flip side of Victoria's Secret? Like, is that what you're trying to you know, as much as I as much as I reference it, it, it's not really the thing that guides us. You know, we're not striving to be the anti them. I think for us, it's just how how do we create an empowering brand that resonates with the modern millennial woman? And so that's you know that's more so so our north star um, rather than kind of you know what are we not? Yeah, I guess that's what I was trying to point at is that the, your your branding and every every aesthetic and everything that you guys are about are the exact opposite of Victoria's Secret, and I think that resonates really well with the core section of our uh, female population. So I commend you for that. I have another entrepreneurial question. Uh, what is the best advice that you would give an entrepreneur or startup right now working on a similar or even a different product, but in the same space that you guys were in back in school and you were about to go? What would be the one thing, what piece of advice you'd give them to help them move their idea forward? I would say just do something. Um, just I, do it. I knew you were going to say, just do it. <laughs> it's, but not even do it, do something. I think, you know, Jane and I spent um, a year talking to people, making slides, tweaking slides, talking to that person. And after you know nine months, we were just like we haven't actually created anything. Um, and so I think you know the first time we created a Squarespace um, landing page to collect emails, you know, and we find and, and ran you know a few ads, even if you're spending ten dollars, you know, just to to gauge interest. Um, I think that's when we started. We we finally um, you know broke the seal, uh, so to speak, of of getting out of you know, slide in idea mode and just getting into putting something out into the world. And I think that sometimes is the hardest bridge to cross. And once you're, you're there, you, you can then start iterating and, and actually just doing more. So I think just do something. Do something. Yeah. No, it's, it's funny. Cause I heard on another podcast that there's guys that get together and are like, yeah, let's get together for coffee and talk about what's up. And they, they basically make a job out of talking about all the things they're going to do. It's like, yes, and you're three of my, my t-shirt company. It's like, did you find any shirts yet? Well, no. <laughs> Go back home and start designing the t-shirt. Then come back and we'll have coffee again. Yeah, because I was going to ask you a question. Like, you know, you went to where, and do you think there's a lot more ideas in those schools that just never 
see the light of wet, of day. Oh yeah, you know, because question. people are just like they sit talk there and they on. don't do. Yeah, they don't do it. Um, do you think that that's happening more and more, and they people should do more because there'd be better ideas out there? Sure. I mean, yeah, I think I think people are throwing ideas around constantly, um, which I think to some degree you have to have you know a thousand ideas to have to have one good one in mm-hmm. a lot of senses. Um, but I think the more you know, a lot of people have these great ideas, either sit on them or don't know how to get started or are, are afraid to put something up because they think someone else will steal it or they're not sure how people will react. And I think just, um, you know, starting that earlier and honing that skill of like, I'm not married to anything. I'm just going to put it out there and, and see how people react to it. Um, you know, you start to learn to pivot and, and just be closer to the customer. So I think the, the quicker people can do that, um, you know, the more... Do you see, do you see friends? Like, do you drive them crazy with it? Cause I know I do. Um, John and I have been doing this for what, 20 odd years now. Mm-hmm. How many ideas do I have every day? Yeah, um, every so day. I drive people nuts with this, but I have pads full of ideas here. They're all right here, <laughs> but I happen to just go do them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I know I have I have a lot of those. The I wish I could just, you know, there was something to fix this or something to do this for me. Um, but I think I've got I've got one that's uh taking up most of my mind share now. So most just, of mine are just small. Just small. <laughs> just a small one. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I think everybody these the so-called entrepreneurs, they go, Oh, I, I'm gonna invent the next Uber, uh, this it's the Uber for X. And it's like, no, you just come up with your own idea and stop trying to be the Uber or the Facebook or the Airbnb of whatever, come up with your own idea, put it out there, make an MVP. If it doesn't work, do something else. It didn't yeah, cost It's like yeah. the, some of the worst pitches, Uber of something. Or the Airbnb Uber of toothbrushes. Of it's like, no, no, <laughs> that's not going to work. No, I don't think I don't so. know if that's something I want someone driving around and, uh, and bringing to me and reusing, but we'll see. <laughs> no. Hard no, pass, hard pass, so. hard pass on that one. Hard <laughs> pass. All right, a personal question. What would you do if you weren't doing this? Uh, run an animal shelter. <laughs> That's so funny because when I ask that question, I get a very similar response. I always say I'd go with the goats. I want to hang out with goats, baby goats. Give me the baby goats. Uh, something completely removed from tech, but you, that's a similar answer. So you want to be, you would be the non-tech cat lady or? Uh, more, more dogs, but dogs. I'm okay. Um, no, I mean, I, that's in an ideal world. I mean, I would love that, but like, I know that I would never, I wouldn't sit still for more than a day. Um, that's so. the other problem. <laughs> Everybody dreams of retiring and laying on the beach, but that lasts about two days and then you're, yeah, I'm pretty especially young. when you're an entrepreneur, there's no yeah. way. No way. I, I think I would, that, that would be a great, like a really fun week. And then I'd be like, all right, I'm, I'm ready for the next day. You'd be like thing. twitching um, and itching. And... Right, hold on. <laughs> Business idea, entrepreneur camp with goats and dogs. <laughs> okay. baby goats. We're on the baby goats and dogs. There you go. There's All right. yoga now. So, you know, there's, there's a market out there. Yeah. Goat yoga. I love it. I want to do it. I love the baby goats. All right. Final question. What's the last thing you bought online? Uh, I think a, a dress, um, not my wedding dress, but something to wear next weekend. So <laughs> a couple days ago, <laughs> boring answer. <laughs> I don't, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm in that, in that mode. What, what other fun answers have you gotten from people? Pens, uh, some guitar. Oh no, the best one was um, the remember the wig from Anthony. The wig for yeah, like a wig. <laughs> I, I did just buy 150 plastic dinosaurs and insects, but it wasn't the last thing I bought. 
Nice. That would have been a better answer. I'll, I'll edit that in. She, wow, 150 plastic dinosaurs, you don't say. Yeah, you know, just an every, every Tuesday uh, purchase. <laughs> nice. All right, well, we're coming up in almost an hour. So this is your time for your shameless plug. Plug anything you'd like uh, where people can find you, whatever you want to say, time is yours. You can visit us at harperwild.com or check out our uh, Instagram at harperwild. That's H-A-R-P-E-R-W-I-L-D-E and help us lift up the ladies. Awesome. Janet, it was great having you on the show. Uh, we'll check back with you in a couple of months and see you how you guys are doing. Bart, you got anything else? No, no, I don't. All right. That is it. And we'll see awesome. you all. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you again, Jenna. We'll see you all next time. Today's episode of In the Ring with Sumo Heavy was produced and edited by me, John Suter, with editorial and production assistance from Brittany Blackman. Our co-host and fearless leader is Sumo Heavy co-founder and CEO, Bart Moraz. In the Ring is a production of Sumo Heavy, an e-commerce consulting firm located in Brooklyn, New York, and beautiful downtown Philadelphia. Find us on the web at sumoheavy.com. And if you like the show, do us a favor and like and subscribe and tell your friends. If you want to reach out, look for us on social media at Sumo Heavy. We'll see you next time in the ring.